The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 10th chapter. Jesus said to the twelve, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's old household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, what do we do with that? (laughs) Someone said this week that sin is a state. It's not an event. It's not just a little thing. It's not sort of reaching into the proverbial cookie jar, right, and getting caught and saying you're sorry, and then that event is over. But it's, it's something we live in every day. We can see that the world is broken. And clearly today's gospel is serious. Jesus is sending, sending the disciples out into a very broken world and with a message that is going to be contrary even and maybe even especially to those within their own household. And actually when Jesus uses some of the familial language here, he's sending them out into uh, their own household of faith. So not just their own household as far as their own immediate nuclear family or extended family but also the family of faith. And it's going to be very hard. The world is broken. And Jesus didn't come to fix it, to just sew up all of our problems, to sew up all of our relationships, to make everything nice. He came to save it. And that may sound like the same thing, but it's a little bit different. Contrary to kind of shallow, I think, and sometimes very popular Christianity, God's goal is not for us to be happy. I don't think God has anything against us being happy, but it isn't the goal, right? The goal isn't happiness. The goal isn't some kind of brief emotional high even. And furthermore, we are entitled to nothing. Ooh, that's a hard one for us to hear in the U.S., maybe in the Western world especially, but we are not entitled to anything, but we are given Everything 
that matters. Everything that truly matters. Not so we have a vacation from life, but so that we might offer what we have been given to such a broken world. That we might disciple up. I did my internship in, um, in Laramie, Wyoming, and that's the home of the Wyoming Cowboys, the, the highest basketball and football and other soccer field and all that baseball, all that kind of stuff, softball, the highest fields, uh, you know, elevation-wise, 7,200 7, feet. So always a challenge for teams to come in there and play because they're gasping for breath all the time. But, but they would play at football games sometimes and always at men's and women's basketball games. They would have this video from the movie Eight Seconds, if you've ever seen that movie. It's interesting, kind of old, older movie. But there's a particular part where this cowboy who's been riding bulls is, has been bucked, and, 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 or not bucked, I don't know if you call it bucked from a bull, but anyway, he's been thrown, and he's injured, and he's laying there on this table, and his friend is there, and his friend's reading the paper, and he's listening to his, friend, his, his injured friend, and he's whining, and he's complaining, nah, nah, nah. and he goes, well, the friend finally gets up, throws his paper down, and he says, well, I guess... I guess you can sit here and complain, and you, sh- and you can quit, and you can do all these stuff you're whining about. And then he leans down to him, and he goes, or you can cowboy up, right? This is a little bit of a cowboy up moment uh, here from Jesus. And I'm going to propose that to disciple up here is to move from being a disciple to being an apostle. And that... Uh, kind of in a word is to, is to move from receiving the word, the promise, to proclaiming the word, to proclaiming the promise. And that involves moving from some level of safety in here to some level of danger. I think I've probably been kind of wrong in saying this, that discipleship is hard, following Jesus is hard. I think it can actually be pretty easy at times. Or we can make it pretty easy to kind of follow behind Jesus, to kind of live in his shadow. And to maybe kind of simply come and to get our, excuse me, to get our fix, to, um, to just enjoy it, to kind of keep it in our family, to keep it with like-minded folks, to sing praises, to talk about Jesus, but only in the company of friends, only in the company of those who agree with what we're saying, perhaps. Maybe we can be a disciple for an hour a week. But this is a disciple up passage from Jesus today. And the up is to be an apostle. The 12 are being sent out and maybe others with them as well. They are becoming apostles. (coughs) Excuse me. They are becoming proclaimers of what and who Jesus is. And they are doing it on their own. They're not going to have Jesus to back them up. They're not going to have him to lead them at this point. So Jesus reaches back to these images from, uh, to kind of assure them, but also to warn them from prophets like Zechariah, where when a prophet or a preacher or an apostle, those can be used somewhat interchangeably, when that one is raised up and proclaims a word from God, it will shake up everything. In fact, Zechariah 3 goes so far as to say that a parent will seek the death of their child if that child becomes a prophet. This is high stakes. And it's hard. It's hard. In fact, it's kind of interesting. Jesus says, have no fear three times in chapter 10. I don't know how many we get in this text, but 
as he's talking to his disciples who are becoming apostles, as he's leading them into that, he says, have no fear several times. Right? We hear that when Mary, with the Annunciation from Gabriel, we hear that in, in these situations where something big is about to happen and something hard is about to happen. I can't remember who said this in staff, and they might have been borrowing it from somebody else, so I'm sorry I don't have a reference here. But they said, when you see have no fear in the Bible, it means stop screaming, it's fine. <laughs> or as Dr. Stephen Paulson says, you are entering in a, into a storm that's trying to kill you or at least knock you down. Just stand there. Don't run away. And then he references Luther, who figures he will be burned at the stake as he's making his proclamation, as he's wrecking the wayward household of the church, of his family, of that institution. And all he can say is, here I stand. I can't do anything else. Here I stand in this storm. On what? On the Word of God, proclaimed in and through Christ. So it's a fun day. It's a fun gospel. Fear, conflict, these are a few of our favorite things, right? I know they are mine. Oh, man, I hate conflict. In fact, in my own disciple-up path, part of this was my, even my, in my uh, sabbatical, at least this chapter of my disciple-up path, is moving from being a peacekeeper, let's all be friends, let's all get along, and there's a selfishness behind that, everybody please like me, right? Some of you can identify with that. But moving from being a peacekeeper to a more mature faith of being a peacemaker, looking at the world and looking at the lives of others, what brings wholeness? What is just? And sometimes what needs to be said even if you're the only one who's going to say it. I can think of all kinds of times in my life where I've been a peacekeeper. And because I've been a peacekeeper, someone else has experienced violence. Anybody else experienced that? I won't make you show your hands, right? I've left somebody out because I'm trying to keep the peace. Peacemaking is different. Peacemaking is discipling up. The world will often use our fear, our fear of death especially, to save us. But to be saved from the salvation of the world, what the world is offering us to keep us okay, to keep us at peace, to keep us safe, to be delivered from that oftentimes is to truly be saved. To follow Jesus, to disciple up, is actually like when we come to these baptismal waters, is to be drowned, is to die with Christ. Because we, if, and we'll hear these words on July 30th in a wonderful baptism upcoming, right, Carmen? Yep, got a grandchild being baptized. We will hear, if we have been buried into Christ's death, then we will surely be raised with him into life. There was a five-year-old at my internship con congregation in Wyoming. Sorry, she wasn't five when I was there. She was a teenager then, bright young, young student. But when she was five, she came to church the very first time. This will give you an idea of this, the precociousness of this kid. But she came up to the children's sermon, and the pastor said, all right, kids, what do you have to do to get to heaven? And he wanted them, you know, to say all these kinds of things, and 
then he was going to say, you know, it's, it's, it's Christ who, who makes us right and all those kinds of things. And before he could say any of that, she looked at him and she said, you have to die. <laughs> awesome answer. He had nothing left. I think he just said, let's pray. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> I feel for the guy. Um, but it's true in this life, too. It isn't just physical death. Death. It isn't that we're just kind of biding our time to wait for some reward in the sweet by and by. I think I've seen, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, right? That death that leads to life, and we have that assurance even before, that death that leads to life is a daily occurrence, and it's a necessary occurrence for us in our discipleship. In other words, to die to the world's offers of salvation is to be made truly alive. I was talking to some folks about baptism, <laughs> and we were talking about the renunciation of evil that we do at the beginning of the baptism. And I said it's, I don't know how to explain this because they were very interested. They're wonderful to talk with them, but they're very interested in what all these things were meaning. And, and I said the best way that I think about it, or the, 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 the way it comes to, to um, in my mind at least, that makes the most sense, is when I see a commercial, and I can tell, or hear a commercial, and I can tell that they're trying to disciple me, right? You have this experience? We don't, we don't care if Tide cleans better than Cheer or any of that kind of stuff, right? We care that we are a good parent because we use Tide, not like those scummy parents who use Cheer. Now, you can, you can reverse those if you want. I don't care, all right? I use the stuff that comes in the little paper form, and I don't throw all that plastic away. But when you're, when you're being kind of enculturated, when you're being pulled into the cult of this will save you, this will make you right, this will make you good, and you kind of look at that or you listen to that, and under your breath you go, bologna sandwich, right? <laughs> or whatever you say. I think that gets us a little bit of a clue or a little bit of an insight of what it means to die to the world's promises in order to see God's bigger promise that actually brings life and truth and healing. Now, the gospel actually can bring some family division that isn't so bad. It can speak the truth in an abusive situation or really toxic family life. I know this week was the end of school, and I know that my child can celebrate the end of school. Yes, some loss of friends, but she's going to see him next year, and she can return to a loving family and all kinds of adventures for the summer. Middle camp next week and backpacking trips and a dance trip to Disney and extended family trip to the Midwest. But how many kids right here in Kitsap, and I know you know them, teachers out there, when school ends, they lose the one place they are safe, where they have their basic needs met, where they know they belong. And by the way, if you're going to work with kids and follow Jesus, apostles turn toward, not away from, these kids and their stories. They turn toward the kids that misbehave and never get awards. They turn towards the kids that disrupt things and exhaust you to death mentally and physically and make you think you want to quit your job. That is your job. They turn towards those kids, and perhaps in part because, and let me say a word to parents here as well, children, kids, teens act out when they feel safe. Did you know that? I bet you did, actually. In fact, I, 
I get a kick out of when I come to parents and I'm like, oh, it's so great to have your kid in class and they're so wonderful and it's been enjoyable. And they start getting this furrowed brow and this confused look and they said, you don't know who I am, do you? <laughs> Are you talking about my kid? And then they're like, can I talk to you in your office for a second? And they are doing this. Oh my gosh, they're just going crazy. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And what I like to say to them is, oh wow, congratulations. They feel safe around you. They can drop all those masks, all that bologna sandwich of perfection, all that garbage, and they can be who they, you know, they can be the mess that is twirling or swirling around inside. It doesn't usually offer them comfort, but it is true. Apostles are preachers in words and actions, and these things will get you labeled as crazy. They'll get you looked down upon, called a bleeding heart, maybe. But just remember, you follow a bleeder. It is enough for you to bleed like the one who bled for you. I got another story, but we got a brunch. So <laughs> I want to bring this home. It will happen, and I know stories of people as they've grow, grown and matured in their faith, that there are people who fade away from them. Maybe they're within their family. But if somebody says you are stupid or ridiculous or a child of the devil, as they did to Jesus, put out your hand and say thank you. With one caveat, by the way. Only if it is for and in Christ's name. Not if you're actually a jerk. Okay? Because that happens sometimes, too. I fall into that trap many times. But what is Christ's name? We'll go back to Matthew 5. What is Jesus, how does Jesus prepare his disciples? What does this kingdom look like? It doesn't turn the world upside down. It turns it right side up. Read Matthew 5. Read the Sermon on the Mount if you want to know what it means to disciple up. Because being a disciple is following Jesus, and that's good, but Jesus is moving his disciples into being apostles, proclaimers in his name with authority. And what is that authority? Or maybe what comes with this authority? A death of our ego. A death of our own human judgment with focuses on I or we over them and they. And a submitting to God's judgment in Christ. Which, by the way, sees your enemy as an inheritor of the kingdom of God. That's the first beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount. It's what Jesus starts with. So be ready for some division. Be ready for some struggle in your own body, in your own mind. And then be ready for that struggle outside of you as well. Because followers of Jesus, disciples are great. I'm hoping we are making disciples in middle camp this week, and thank you for your support for that. It's an incredible, transforming experience. And when we go to Costa Rica in a couple weeks with our high school kids, I can't tell you how transforming that is with their faith. As they become disciples, as they witness, and as they become part. But then they are given that in order to be equipped as you are to be an apostle, to be a teller of the good news of Jesus Christ, who is with you. Don't be afraid. Go into the storm. You have the word and the presence of Christ, and there is no greater tool, no greater gift. Thanks be to God that you are all discipled up. Amen.